0: some things that are hard to explain. For example, have you ever tried to explain God? A third grade class in Chula Vista, California was given that homework assignment. One eight-year-old wrote, one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so there will there will be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups just babies, I think because they are smaller and easier to make. And that way God doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He can just leave that to the mothers and fathers. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on since some people, like preachers and things, pray at times beside bedtime. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV because of this. Because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears unless he has thought of a way to turn it off. God sees everything and hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mom and dad's head asking for something they said you couldn't have. Atheists are people who don't believe in God. I don't think there are any in Chula Vista, at least there aren't any who come to our church. (laughs) Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the hard work like walking on water and performing miracles and trying to teach the people who didn't want to learn about God, they finally got tired of him preaching to them, and they crucified him. But he was good and kind, like his father, and he told his father that they didn't know what they were doing and to forgive them, and God said, okay. His dad, God, appreciated everything that he had done and all his hard work on earth, so he told him he didn't have to go out on the road anymore. He could stay in heaven, so he did. And now he helps his dad out by listening to prayers and seeing things which are important for God to take care of, and which ones he can take care of himself without having to bother God, like a secretary, only more important. You can pray anytime you want, and they are sure to hear you because they got it worked out, so one of them is on duty all the time. You should always go to church on Sundays because it makes God happy, and if there's anybody you want to make happy, it's God. Don't skip church to do something you think will be more fun, like going to the beach. This is wrong, and besides, the sun doesn't come out at the beach until noon anyway. <laughs> if you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, you will be very lonely. Because your parents can't go everywhere with you, like to camp, but God can It's good to know he's around you when you're scared in the dark or when you can't swim very good and you get thrown into the real deep water by the big kids. But you shouldn't just always think of what God can do for you. I figure God put me here and he can take me back anytime he pleases. And that's why I believe in God. How do you explain God? How do you describe the indescribable? Or... Define the indefinable. Comprehend the incomprehensible. The writer of Proverbs said, there are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. In other words, there are some things I just am not going to get. And that's okay. You don't have to have the answer to everything before you believe it. We do it every day. You don't have to be able to explain something to accept it. After all, the universe is a big, complex, amazing place. And if it's too much for us to grasp, what about the one who made it? Unfortunately, when it comes to the Lord, there are many who have trouble accepting Him or refuse to believe because they say they just can't explain Him or understand Him. It's okay to have questions about God you can't answer. He doesn't expect us to understand everything before we place our faith in Him. You know, for, after all, you know, after, after, no matter how often I hear it and read it, I can't fathom something as basic as God's love. The creator of the universe cares about me. How can you possibly begin to grasp a love so great that He would come and die in your place? It's beyond our ability to fathom, and yet we still accept it. And if you're here this morning and you're having trouble making a decision to follow him because you don't understand everything, you don't have all the answers, you don't have to. You don't need to let that stop you. Have you ever noticed that the writers of Scripture and the New Testament especially don't try to explain God, rather they describe him through the things he's done, they paint pictures of God. And in a society that didn't have TVs and movies, that didn't have Pinterest and Facebook to post pictures on, people relied upon the power of story. Those were their pictures. And that's essentially what the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. They are pictures of God in the person of Jesus, because Jesus is and always will be an expression of God himself. If you want to know what God is like, you look to him. Or as Paul told the Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, because it's in him that all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The writer of Hebrews said, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And in the Gospels, John in particular used word pictures to describe Jesus and describe God. He does it from the very beginning as he starts his book saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh, the word was God. And then throughout the rest of the book, he describes the word in action. He sets out not to define what he means by word, but he describes the word in human flesh. God become man. And he did it all with a very specific purpose in mind, a purpose you don't have to guess at, but which he clearly states in John 20, verses 30 and 31, in which he declares, Jesus did many things other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Twofold purpose, he says, first to show who Jesus is, that he's the Christ, the Son of God, and secondly, in seeing who he is and knowing who he is, you can believe and have life in his name. That's John's purpose in writing, he says, to paint a picture of God and as he does so to help us find eternal life. That is what our faith is built on, not having all the answers but simply knowing and believing. This desire for people to know who he was, who he is, is expressed through a recurring question never far from people's minds in the Gospels. Who is this? Who are you, Jesus? They asked, Who is this that forgives sins? Who is this that controls the weather and that can calm the storm? Who is this that can heal the leper and the lame with just a word? And they kept asking it throughout Jesus' life. Who are you? And Jesus answers in the book of John through a series of statements found only in the book of John that don't define who he is, they describe who he is. Word pictures, connecting him with God. So you have a key event in the Old Testament happening in the book of Exodus. God comes and reveals himself to Moses, and Moses' question is simply, God, well, who are you? Give me an explanation, something to take back with me to to tell others. And God's answer is very simple, I am. Literally, I will be what I will be. It's a very open-ended statement. You cannot pin him down, you cannot dissect and define everything about him. He is God, we are not. So in chapter 8 of John, when the Jewish leaders are trying to figure out who Jesus is, because they realize he wasn't going to leave things alone, the status quo, go. They try to pin him down and ask, well, who do you think you are? And Jesus says in John 8, 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. One of the clearest statements from Jesus' own limb, claiming to be God. The Jews understood that's what he wanted, And that's what he was doing, and it says they tried to stone him because he was claiming not just to be a teacher or a prophet, not just an angel or an enlightened person, but stating that he is God incarnate. These things, John says, I'm writing to you so you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you find life in his name. John fills out that I am statement with a series of pictures Seven statements he makes in his book. Short snapshots of him from different angles, revealing who he is. The first happens right after he feeds 5,000 people, bringing to people of mind the Exodus experience, wandering in the desert, and Moses feeds them with manna from heaven. Jesus feeds 5,000 with a few loaves. People are thinking of Moses. Who is this? And Jesus doesn't define who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the one to sustain you, not just for a day like Moses did, but for eternity. I am the one to nourish you. I am the one who will be the source of life and strength. These things are written so you might believe he is the Christ. And in Believing, you find life. The law provided boundaries, but it really didn't provide direction. And it became increasingly clear that it could not provide the answers and the hope which people were yearning for. People didn't know where to go to. They were pretty much on their own to figure things out. So when it became obvious that people were lost and wandering around, that they were yearning for something more, they began to wonder about Jesus. Who are you? The book of Psalms, God's word is likened to light to provide direction for life. Jesus was already referred to as the Word in John 1, and now as people are asking, who are you? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness and will have the light of life. Light helps us see where we're going. Jesus says, I'm the one to give your life direction. I'm the one to provide meaning, to open life, your eyes to see life in its fullness. We may... Not want to admit it sometimes, but because of our sin, we're lost. It's like we're in darkness. Life can carry little meaning apart from the one who created us. And yet, God continues to love and provides a way. In a book called Resident Aliens, Stanley Haravas and Will Williman wrote, We're forever getting confused into thinking that Scripture is mainly about what we are supposed to do. But Rather, it's a picture of who God is. These things are written, John says, so you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, you find life in his name. Throughout the book of John, people received little sympathy or or help from those in places of authority. Just the opposite, they often were taken advantage of. They didn't know what to believe, or who to turn to, or where to go to be made right with God, Jesus then says they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He comes, he speaks with authority, his actions reveal a power they hadn't seen before, and they begin to ask again, who are you? And Jesus said, I am the door, or the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Notice he doesn't say, I am a door or one door or a path. I am the door. No side entries, no ways to climb over the fence or through a window. I'm the one you go through to get to God. The way to salvation. He went so far to even say, everyone who came before him were merely thieves and robbers. In God's love, he provides a way. He opens a door that we can enter life. The door is Jesus. To enter into life, we come through him. As the case is today, there were many leaders, teachers willing to tell people what to do, not really providing help for the journey, though. It's different. There's a difference between telling people what to do and actually caring about them. Not go out of your way to help But God is personal. He cares so much. In fact, the Bible says Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. And as people began to see something different in Jesus, they wondered, who are you? Do you really care? Are you like everyone else? Just words. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep. I am the one to provide security No one can take you from my Father's hands. In John 11, when his friend Lazarus had died and people were confronted by the reality of death, once more this issue came up. Not just where was God, but where was Jesus? What did he have to say about it all? How could they make sense of what happened because they expected Jesus should have been there for his friend. He shouldn't have gone through any suffering or pain. And they asked, couldn't he have saved him if he had been here? But Jesus comes, they're asking, well, who are you? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. When we face issues of immortality, what happens when we die? He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the one who conquered death and hell. He is the one we can turn to in the time of our need for hope and salvation. John says, I write these things so you might believe in him, and in believing, you find life. During his life on earth, the disciples had come to depend on Jesus for direction and instruction. He was their teacher and their guide and their friend. He was there to answer their questions, the one they followed. What would they do without him? Where would they turn? Who are you, Jesus? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Not science, not education, not politics, but Jesus, the great I am, who was and is the way to the Father. And in John 15, as he preparing his followers for his departure, he told them, Continue the work begun, because I am the vine. I am the source of life and nourishment and fruitfulness. You will not bear fruit apart from me. Throughout his entire book, John is giving these pictures of who Jesus is, not trying to define him, but describe him, to say he is God in flesh. To realize in him we find life in his name. They still didn't have all the answers. They still couldn't understand or explain everything or believe to believe in, but they could trust him. They finally realized it after the resurrection, when Thomas makes that great confession of faith, my Lord and my God. Many things in all of our lives, hard to explain. Some impossible, but we don't have to have all the answers in order to follow and believe. As one writer pointed out, God will answer all of your questions in one way and in one way only, namely by showing you more of His Son. Sometimes we may want to be able to explain everything and understand everything before we believe it. But some things are just too wonderful to grasp. God's love is like that. We can't explain it, but we can see it. We can't define it, but we can experience it. That's what the Gospels are for, to show us the love of God, not merely explain it. If you want to understand God, you look at Christ. He defines God. As he said in John, I write these things to you that you can believe in Christ and find life. That's its purpose. You can believe and have life in him. But to do so, you have to place your trust in the one who said, I am, and then gives these pictures of what that can look like. I am the bread of life, the one who will sustain you. I am the light of the world, the one who illuminates your path, who will keep you from stumbling. I am the door, the way into God's presence. I'm the good shepherd, the one who truly cares. I'm the resurrection and the life, your hope for eternity. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the one you can trust and follow. I am the vine, the one who will nourish and strengthen. There's no other way. Belief is more than intellect, it's an act of the will, a following Christ and saying, I believe even if I don't understand everything. There's no other way except to believe and to trust. How do you explain God? I've played this clip a few years ago, but it says it probably as well or better than almost anyone I've ever heard before in trying to explain or describe who God is. It's taken from a sermon by the late Dr. Lockridge from San Diego, who served for many years in his church there. It's called That's My King. will say my king is the king of the Jews. he's the king of Israel, he's the king of righteousness, he's the king of the ages, he's the king of heaven, he's the king of glory, he's the king of kings, and he's the lord of the lords. That's my king. Ah, whatever you know it. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. People asked, who are you? He said, I am. I'm all of these things. You may not be able to explain it all, but you can trust him. And as we close our worship this morning, it's an invitation time. Uh, if you have not done so, I know Brent mentioned our baptism next week. That's an affirmation that we followers. And when it's an invitation. If you, it's time for you to follow We invite you to come in a moment as we stand together and sing to pray with you here at the front to make that decision. We invite you to come. And as the worship team comes, will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you that the one who said I am still is and always will be so much more than we can comprehend. And yet, he is one in which we can call on and turn to and find life. Lord, may we discover the words of John when he said, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in that awareness, God, we might believe and have life in his name. We thank you for the great I am in whose name we pray. Amen.
1: I have decided
0: to follow Jesus.